0: It's Wednesday, December 20th, 2023, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm
1: Matthew Moore. Today, a business class at the University of Arkansas is looking at not how to make money, but how to give it away. $50,000 to be exact.
2: I've had a decent experience working in philanthropy before, but more in like a volunteering aspect or like a team management aspect. Um, so, reading the description of this class, I was like, "That sounds really unique, and that sounds like a lot of like power for a student to be making these kinds of decisions."
0: Plus, the best way to study the Ozarks is to get into the Ozarks. First year
3: or so that I taught at Missouri State, about probably about one day a week or at least a couple days a month, I would uh, I would just take off and spend much of the day just driving through the countryside. And the newest
4: dads at KUAF take a quiz about fictional dads. First, the news from NPR. The University of Arkansas Department of Political Science offers political science and public administration and nonprofit studies graduate programs. Both programs train the next generation of local, state, national, and global leaders in the public, nonprofit, and private sectors. Applications for fall 2024 and graduate assistantships are available for qualified applicants. plsc.uarc.edu for more information.
1: This is Ozarks at Large for Wednesday, December 20th, 2023. I'm Matthew Moore. Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF Public Radio in Fayetteville. Later on today's show, a quiz involving Homer Simpson... Indiana Jones, and Darth Vader. Jasper Logan joins us for a quiz about fictional fathers. That's in our second half hour. First today, a business class at the University of Arkansas is looking at how not to make money, but how to give it away. Ozark's at large's Danica Ruth has this report.
5: It's a cold December morning as students trickle into the Honors College building on the University of Arkansas campus. People mingle and settle into plush couches and chairs sitting around the sunny lounge while students all wearing the same blue t-shirts with the words Philanthropy Lab printed across them, a mass at the front of the room. Another student rolls in a lectern, and Professor Daniel Levine approaches to welcome the guests to this unusual final class of the semester.
6: Faculty members, colleagues, students, my name is Daniel Levine. And this I'm the is University
5: the strategic professors philanthropy professors class at the University of Arkansas, and today they're giving away $50,000 to local organizations and nonprofits, representatives of which are gathered here today. Before announcing the recipient of that money, the cohort of nearly a dozen students, one by one, introduce themselves and go through their decision making process.
7: Um, I'm going to talk about our class mission statement. So, at the end of the semester,
5: Levine and his co professor, Rogelio Garcia Contreras from the Walton College of Business, brought the philanthropy course to the university for the first time this semester. And Levine says his route to philanthropy and this course.
6: Was a little bit different than most. May of 2021, I was contacted by the Once Upon a Time Foundation, which I had never heard of, to ask if I would be interested in taking, in helping their funder plan a trip to Greece because of my experience with Greek stuff. I've been teaching classical studies at the University of Arkansas. This is my 44th year to do so and they they found the right guy and so I traveled to Greece with the funder of the once upon a time foundation his and his family and afterwards they gave me an opportunity to to do some philanthropy uh, with uh, the money from their organization I contributed a hundred thousand dollars to five different nonprofits in Greece
5: So Levine had to do his own research, studying, talking with organizations, making tough decisions on how and where to deliver that funding. And that process, he says, got him thinking.
6: And after doing that, I asked if maybe we could bring the Philanthropy Lab uh, to the University of Arkansas. The Philanthropy Lab is a branch of the Once Upon a Time Foundation that sponsors courses in philanthropy. They've given away over $14 million uh, since they were started in 2012. And they're at, uh, at, at many, many universities, Columbia University, uh, Vanderbilt, Stanford, Harvard, and uh, now the University of Arkansas.
5: For senior economics student Judy Kamau, she says this class was intriguing because, like a lot of students, she had experience with nonprofits and volunteer work, but had never been engaged in the grant-making side.
2: Uh, Personally, I feel like I've had a decent experience working in philanthropy before, but more in like a volunteering aspect or like a team management aspect, and so I kind of wanted to experience it in a different way than I have before. Um, so reading the description of this class, I was like, that sounds really unique. And that sounds like a lot of like power for a student to be making these kinds of decisions. But I was really interested in learning how to make those decisions um, and kind of gaining new skills.
5: And that responsibility is what Levine and Contreras wanted to convey through their class. Hallie Hayward, a junior business major, says until this class, she hadn't thought about philanthropy as something that took skill.
7: In high school, I actually did this exact same thing, um, except we just fundraised for our own money, Um, and they do this a lot around Oklahoma, where I'm from, Um, raise like $200,000 and give it away. Um, But at that time, you're like 15 and 16 years old, and I don't think I realized the impact. Um, I didn't learn about philanthropy necessarily. I really took Nonprofits, and then decided from that but I don't know if there was really a background basis so I think this um, course completely changed that and gave me a basis instead um, and I think I could have made better informed decisions in high school and so I took from this mostly that I want to do that, that I want to go back to Oklahoma and try and figure out how to explain to people the impact they're actually doing because at 16 I didn't know what I was doing so now, now that I know how big of an impact it is really, I'd love to be able to show other people how big of an impact that
5: was. The students looked at 12 local organizations as potential recipients and then broke them down into three categories, education, food, and trauma. Kamau says the group had to learn how to approach the final decision methodically.
2: How well are they um, like accomplishing their mission statement and vision statement? Looking at their financials, like we mentioned, like how transparent are they? Do things like kind of match up with what they're putting out there and what they've told us? Um, and then how they assess their impact, like kind of just beyond looking at the numbers, like what else are they doing to assess impact in their organization?
5: Philanthropy has been around, well, since classical times, as Levine will tell
6: you. Uh, Since I'm a classicist, I started talking about uh, uh, examples in in Homer and Hesiod and um, other ancient Greek uh, texts. But as a modern industry, philanthropy has
5: been growing. According to a Precision Report study from earlier this month, philanthropic giving is a billion-dollar industry that grew by more than 5% since 2022. And Levine says it's paramount that students get a first-hand look at how that money is dispersed and how to do it responsibly. Part of that was reframing how they saw charitable
6: impact for themselves. On the first day of class, giving each student an envelope with a $10 bill in it and saying your assignment for two classes from now is to use this $10 in a philanthropic way that you think will have the most effect and to come back and report on what you did and what you hope to get out of it. So it it was a microcosm of the whole course with $10 and the students had to make a decision just like they had to at the very end of the course for a a $30,000 gift. They have to make a choice for a $10 gift at the beginning. and so we had, a, and it provoked a discussion uh, of, uh, of of uh, why they chose to do what they did, uh, and they were very honest about about it.
5: Ben Walworth, a senior marketing student, says getting to that final decision was tough, but the process was the lesson.
8: One thing that I thought was unique was a lot of professional foundations or corporate foundations have specific priority areas or giving areas um, that help them streamline and focus on which organizations they give to. And we had broad topics, but it's a lot more open-ended on our side. Um, So it caused maybe some challenges in trying to fully evaluate all these causes because they're all so worthy, but they're all so different. Um, So just trying to be able to take that um, objective approach to understanding that they all are amazing organizations and what we want to do at this specific moment in time, um, just because it's not not necessarily feasible to compare work across sectors or across industries per se, um, but we really just focused on being intentional with the gift and thinking about um, the outcomes that we wanted to achieve and just the impact and being able to maximize that in a strategic way.
5: In the end, the money was split into different groups of $750, $2,000, and then the final gift of $30,000. The grand prize went to Seeds That Feed, a local Hunger Relief organization.
2: Gotten a big check
5: well, Margaret Thomas is the chief seeder for the organization.
2: We've worked with a lot of business classes throughout the last 10 years, and we've always just been very surprised and just like... it. There's so many students that really do get the information and the intelligence and how, I mean, they were empowering and engaging and all of those things that they were talking about today and, yeah, they, we have always been kind of forthcoming with our ideas in the classes and we think that their ideas and their perspective is just so important.
5: She says Seeds the Feed will use the grant to purchase equipment and develop a system for freeze-drying food for the community. Levine says he plans to continue the class in the fall of 2024, and he believes it's not only beneficial for students, but also fulfills the university's
6: mission. Well, one of the purposes of this land-grant university is to improve the life of the Arkansas population and we are following that uh, very seriously and very uh, practically by, by restricting our giving to local organizations. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Daniel Caruth. Later
1: this hour, one of our favorite interviews from 2023. Brooks Blevins talked with us in July about a lifetime of studying the Ozarks and Ozark culture.
3: You drive to the to the end of the state highway or the end of the blacktop, as we as we call it, and and there's the store. And I, you know, I found a, a few of those in the Ozarks when I was traveling around several years ago, trying to trying to find these old country stores and document them for the for the 21st century. Brooks Blevins
4: ahead on this edition of Ozarks at Large. The KUAF Giving Tree, now for over a decade working to provide necessary items and support for our area nonprofits, is teaming up with the Yvonne Richardson Community Center. The YRCC is committed to shaping today's youth for tomorrow's challenges by providing recreational, educational, and social opportunities. Here's Josh Lane Fiesta with the YRCC. Started
9: in 96 when the building opened up. Had a lot of sports programs in there, a lot of after school programs there. And it's been growing throughout the years. And in about early
5: 2000s, it uh, flipped over with the Parks and Rec Department. So we've been partnering together, the
4: city and the nonprofit board, which is called the Friends of the YRCC. And we work together to
9: Enrich the community.
4: The YRCC is always in need of prepackaged snacks, sports equipment, coloring and activity books, and more. To find out how you can help, the website KUAF.com slash giving tree. The Giving Tree and KUAF Public Radio. Your voice matters. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore.
1: Arkansas Attorney General Tim Griffin has been ordered to work with the Arkansas State Board of Corrections to obtain an outside attorney for representation. This comes after a judge found that Griffin was in clear violation of his official duty to provide legal counsel to the board. Pulaski County Circuit Judge Tim Fox said in an order filed yesterday that Griffin is acting, quote, "...in contravention of his statutory duties to represent the state defendants by using his discretion to apparently not invoke the special counsel procedure." He is apparently attempting to deliberately deprive his state clients of any legal representation of any nature or kind. Judge Fox also says the board could take Griffin's, quote, numerous potentially serious ethics violations of the state's rules for attorneys to the Arkansas Judiciary's Committee on Professional Conduct. Fox has given Griffin 30 days to come to an agreement with the Board of Corrections. Now, this case is separate, but being heard at the same time as the case brought by the Board of Corrections against Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders and the Secretary of Corrections, Joe Proffery. That case is fundamentally about who has authority over the state's correctional facilities and whether a pair of laws passed earlier this year that transfer that power from the state board to the governor is constitutional. The ballot question committee, Arkansans for Limited Government, has resubmitted their proposed constitutional amendment. The popular name for the proposed amendment is now the Arkansas Abortion Amendment. Previously, the committee proposed the popular name, the Arkansas Reproductive Health Amendment. But Attorney General Tim Griffin rejected both the popular name and the ballot title, citing several issues and concerns. Jim McHugh, treasurer of Arkansans for Limited Government, said in a press release that they are confident that the language in the new proposal addresses all of the attorney general's concerns, as well as input from health care providers. The Arkansas Department of Transportation has released its traffic management plan ahead of the 2024 eclipse on April 4th. Ellen Coulter, the media communications manager for the department, says they are expecting anywhere from hundreds of thousands of visitors to potentially millions of tourists the day of the eclipse.
10: We've been talking with other states that have gone through this and other total solar eclipses to see how they have handled the large influx of traffic. But we are in kind of new territory here.
1: The agency has two main elements to their plan to help deal with the influx, traffic reduction and control. They are recommending visitors extend their stay, Data shows that up to 80% of tourists left immediately after sunlight returned in the 2017 solar eclipse, but they are prepared to deal with traffic by reducing lane closures and active work zones.
10: So we are encouraging people to stay a while. If you can at all help it, please do not leave right when the eclipse is over. Stay an extra night. Um, you know, Use it as an opportunity to see Arkansas and do some fun stuff. Um, If you're, you know, able to maybe work from home, stay, you know, work from home that day and the next day, uh, we're encouraging schools to close if they can that day. And we are encouraging um, trucks to limit their oversized loads that day and if at all possible to just take an alternate route all together around these highways, interstates that we expect to be most congested.
1: The department predicts that other than interstates, state highways 65 and 9 will likely be the most affected.
10: We get the sense that a lot of the general public who are not thinking about it every day like we are, they don't even know that an eclipse is happening on April 8th. So right now it's just getting the word out because the last thing we want is for someone to be driving down the interstate and it gets pitch black at 145 in the afternoon and they don't know what's happening and it's gridlock.
1: The solar eclipse is expected to move northeast from Arkansas's southwest corner beginning at 146 p.m. and leave the state at 2 p.m. near Pocahontas. The total viewing time is expected to last about four minutes.
0: This is Ozarks at Large. Considering the Ozarks isn't new for Brooks Blevins, he is the Noel Boyd Professor of Ozark Studies at Missouri State University, and he's authored more than a dozen books connected to the region, his native Arkansas, and what it means to be an Ozarker. His most recent book, Up South in the Ozarks, Dispatches from the Margins, collects essays he's written during his career about the Ozarks' relationship with the South, Southerners' relationships with fireworks, the disappearing country store, race relations in the Ozarks, and much more. The book examines rural stereotypes and rural realities, from pop culture's embrace of the hillbilly to entrepreneurship. In other words, how a place can be both Ernest T. Bass and Bass Pro Shops. This summer... Brooks Blevins discussed his latest book at the Fayetteville Public Library and the Shiloh Museum of Ozark History. And in July, he spoke with us for one of our favorite interviews of 2023.
3: Thanks for having me, Kyle. And uh, I may have to steal that Ernest T. Bass and Bass Pro Shops line. That's pretty good.
0: Well, it is as much yours as it is mine. Uh, The title is Up South in the Ozarks, and I'm curious how and why you landed on that first word in the title, Up
3: well, I guess this this goes back to my my original idea for this collection uh, was was a sort of hybrid of Southern history and Ozarks history. Uh, I my my training is in in Southern history. Uh, you don't go to Auburn to study the Ozarks, and uh, so uh, so I, I studied Southern history, and and I just ended up in this rabbit hole sort of on the margin of the South, the Ozarks. And so I approached this from kind of the beginning with the standpoint of Southern history. And of course, if you're talking about the South in general, uh, for most places, you got to go up to get to the Ozarks. Uh, It's a sort of a Northwestern corner, Northwestern appendage of, of the greater South. Uh, and and so that's where I came up with uh, the Up South idea.
0: In fact, the first essay in Up South in the Ozarks, Dispatches from the Margins, you discuss, you consider the relationship between the Ozarks and the South. And I think it's a consideration that almost anybody who is from the Ozarks or has lived in the region for some time has thought about themselves, if not out loud. Are we part of the South? If so, how much part of the south are we
3: yeah i guess that the straight answer for that would be it depends on where you live in the ozarks or maybe where you grew up in the ozarks that that arkansas missouri state line plays a big role in that and uh, i mean it, you know there's not a whole lot of difference in the terrain and uh, the folk life and the culture on either side of that line, but there's a lot of difference in history, specifically how Missouri and Arkansas experienced the Civil War. And I think a lot of uh, that Southern identity goes back to uh, which side uh, your state identified with or which side your family identified with in the Civil War. So I guess the kind of the the broad brush answer would be if you grew up in the arkansas ozarks you probably grew up thinking of yourself as a southerner if you grew up in the missouri ozarks you probably didn't you would probably describe yourself as a midwesterner or something like that and and i've just recently heard several people in the missouri ozarks make the claim that the ozarks is in the midwest hmm. and those of us in the arkansas ozarks uh, would would react. uh, uh, But that's, you know, that's kind of the divide. That's where it, where it divides. And I've found very few people in the Missouri Ozarks who, who actively identify as a Southerner. And when you do, if they know anything about their family history, you can almost pry back in there and find a Confederate ancestor somewhere or a Confederate sympathizing ancestor somewhere.
0: Another exercise you've engaged in over time is finding real country stores that are in the Ozarks, including what you write are end-of-the-line stores. What is an end-of-the-line store?
3: Yeah, an, an end-of-the-line store, in my definition, is—and uh, they're, and they're pretty few and far between now, but it's, it's a store in some community that's at the end of a state highway somewhere— or maybe it doesn't necessarily even have to be a state highway, but you're not going to find a lot of county road stores anymore. But uh, but yeah, the end of the line store. You drive to the to the end of the state highway or the end of the blacktop, as we as we call it, and and there's the store. And I you know I found a, a few of those in the Ozarks when I was traveling around several years ago, trying to trying to find these old country stores and document them for the for the 21st century. Ah, uh, the one that that I that comes to mind uh, is a is a little store in a small community called Bethesda, which is actually an in Independence County, not far from Batesville, Arkansas, and it's just you know, so literally at the at the end of the the state highway there, and and you go on past, and it soon turns into gravel roads, and and you run into the river, and there ain't no ferry, <laughs> and there ain't no bridge across White River there, so. That's that's the end of the line for that. But there was a there was a nice little country store there. It's still there. It's under a uh, different ownership. Uh, I think it's got a different name now than it had all those years ago when I when I first visited. But but that's one that comes to mind for me. Bethesda, Arkansas, not Bethesda, Maryland.
0: <laughs> and I love the places that as a map that's included in Up South and the Ozarks uh, shows the places that, at the time, the map was created that still had some of these stores. And these aren't chain convenience stores. These are, you know, locally owned. Places like right. Fallsville, Tilly, um, Squires, Van Zant. I mean, you don't get to these stores on – well, maybe you do get to them on accident, but it's a pretty big accident by the time you get to those communities.
3: yeah. Well, and the, the funnest way to get to them was by accident. Yes. Uh, you know, on occasion, I found places like that. I would just strike off across the countryside. Well, what I, really, what I did, what uh, this little fun project grew out of my move to Missouri um, when, I, when I became the, the Noel Boyd Professor of Ozark Studies at Missouri State in 2008, uh, being from Arkansas. I didn't really know that much about Missouri geography. And, and I, so about the first year or so that I taught at Missouri state about probably about one day a week, or at least a couple days a month, I would, uh, I would just take off and spend much of the day just driving through the countryside. Mm -hmm. I'd, you know, I'd had my trusty Atlas and I'd just pick a place that I had never been to in Missouri. And I would, I'd just go. And then, I sort of fell in love with these little country stores that I would encounter uh, accidentally. And then I, then I made it, uh, uh, you know, made, made it part of my purpose to, to find these stores in both Missouri and and Arkansas after a while. And so, so yeah, a lot of these, uh, are places that are really, really out of the way that, uh, you've pretty much got to, got to be going there on purpose to get there or you're really lost one or the other. And, uh, and it was, it was, uh, it was just a great experience. Unfortunately, uh, a lot of the stores that I visited are closed now. Uh, this was, you know, 14, 15 yeah. years ago. And a, and a lot of those have since closed down. Some of them were completely gone. They just, they burnt or somebody just tore them down, something like that. But, uh, uh, but it was, it was great. I've, I drank way too many Mountain Dews on on these trips and (laughs) uh, probably too many candy bars. And so shortly after that, I started getting in shape and that ended my country store uh, trail riding. And uh, I guess started my mountain bike uh, trail riding. You don't find a lot of country stores when you're riding riding a mountain bike unless you're just really, really good shape and and you ride for miles and miles and miles.
0: Years ago, maybe 20 years ago, I think there was one in Snowball, which, of course, is at the end of a state highway. I don't know if it's still right. there or not.
3: Yeah, I don't think the Snowball store is still there. Yeah. Uh, nearby, uh, back when I was ri- driving these trails, there was one in uh, Whit Springs, uh, which is, is close to Snowball. And uh, and I think it's still open. But, yeah, I don't think there's one in, in Jimmy Driftwood's old Snowball yeah. anymore.
0: Yeah, and I don't think you can. I don't think I could get to Snowball without going through Whit Springs. That's the only way I know to get there.
3: Yeah, yeah, from from your direction. Yeah, yeah that's right.
0: Finally, uh, I people need to pick up this book, if only. I mean, I loved each essay, but the the second one, were you right about being a fireworks salesman and going from town to town in the South and putting up the tent, and some were great sales cities and some were not i just think people should read that because it's a it's a part of life that most of us haven't thought about it i'm guessing you wouldn't trade those years now for anything maybe even if they were frustrating at times
3: oh yeah and you can bet they were frustrating at at times uh you know i i had almost had flashback i uh just a week ago today i got back from uh from being in Washington DC for two weeks for the Smithsonian Folklife festival, which was focused on the, the Ozarks, uh, this summer. And at times there, I mean, we were outside all day. We were often under tents, uh, in, I mean, it was, you know, it's an outdoor festival on the, on the mall there in in DC. And I was sweating the whole time. It was hot and sticky. And, and a few times I thought, man, this is, this is like I've been transported back in time. The only thing missing is, uh, you know, a, a, a box of 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 uh, bottle rockets or something. And, and then I would be right right back in it. But but yeah, that was uh, I I guess it was probably over about a 10 year period from the time I graduated high school until almost the time that I finished my Ph.D. That I that I worked as a fireworks salesman and sometimes as a truck driver and delivery man and all that kind of stuff. And, and it was, it is, I, the farther I get away from it, the weirder it seems that, that (laughs) I actually uh, did all that stuff. And I, uh, and it took me to a lot of places that I otherwise wouldn't have uh, that, that I wouldn't have made it to, you know, I spent time in small towns in West Virginia and North Carolina. And I spent a, you know, part of a summer in Cape Girardeau and, Uh, different places in Arkansas and, and uh, you know, just traveling around delivering these things. But it it very much was what I would consider to be kind of a Southern experience. You get, you get a good feel for how the South changes as you grow. You know, it's such a huge region. Uh, The South is, uh, the Southern part of the United States is bigger than most nations in the world. And, and so you have these, you have these changes in, in what we call a Southern accent from place to place. And you have, uh, the changes in the kind of stores you see and the, you know, the demographics and all that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it uh, for anything, but, uh, but it, 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 it was, uh, you know, it, it could be maddening and uh, and it gave me my, my first and hopefully my last experience with, with extreme sleep deprivation uh, by, you know, by that last uh, by July 4th, that last year I was selling fireworks, I was, I was hallucinating and I'm pretty sure I wasn't on anything. I mean, I had just gone without <laughs> sleep for so long, you know, sleeping in a fireworks tent or spending all night driving a, uh, a U-Haul truck from one fireworks tent to another tent to deliver fireworks that I was just, I was zoned out. And I, I don't even remember how I got back to Arkansas from North Carolina that summer, uh, I you know I just I I don't I don't I don't even know how to explain it, but it, it's a it was a crazy time, and it that fireworks article I originally wrote close to 20 years ago when it was still pretty fresh on my mind, and and I probably got more feedback about you know that that piece than than anything else, just because it you know it's fun and it's it's personal and it's irreverent and and uh it's just something that most people don't expect and don't know anything about, and they should be thankful that they don't know anything <laughs> about that that uh it's just a it's a crazy business to be in it, yeah it's it, it was it was it was crazy and i and I hope people enjoy that essay it it was one of one of the first attempts I made years ago to step out of the traditional historian's role, the, you know, the kind of third person detached historian's uh, viewpoint and, and write something that combined actual scholarly history with, with a first person viewpoint and, and incorporated humor and and all that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, and I love doing that because I, you know, I don't just want to write for a handful of, academics and other history professors uh, who generally don't read everything anyway. You know, you just read the introduction and, and mine what, what you're looking for and then you go on. And I, you know, I enjoy writing for, for people who just like to read stuff, just like to read something that's fun and informative. And and hopefully that's what up South in the Ozarks will prove to be for a lot of people, something that's uh, both informative and and fun at
0: times. Brooks Blevins is the Noel Boyd Professor of Ozark Studies at Missouri State University and the author of several books, including his most recent, Up South in the Ozarks, Dispatches from the Margins. Our conversation first aired this past July upon the release of that new book. This is Ozarks at Large. It is quiz time to help me with this month's quiz. Jasper Logan. Hello, Jasper. Hello. Jasper is uh, Director of Community Engagement at KUIF, producer, and all-around reporting cool guy, Matthew Moore. How are you? All-around
1: reporting cool guy. I'm I'm changing my business cards. There you go.
0: What do you get? What did the two of you have in common in 2023?
1: We have impeccable style.
0: Yes. That is true. Yes. This is not a quiz about style, okay. however. Uh-huh. What else? What did you both experience in 2023?
11: New babies.
1: That New is babies. right.
0: Your first child. Yes. Your second.
11: Yes. Which feels like a first.
0: Yeah, we were, having a, we were having a conversation
1: earlier this week and I asked Jasper, I said, you've got, you've got one already. As you're going through all of these early phases of like losing sleep and not really feeling like you know what's going on, you still feel like you know what's going on, right? And he's like, no, no, it's been too long. I, I, I lost all of that memory.
5: Well, yeah.
0: as someone who was both a youngest child, so I never had a younger sibling Ooh. and a childless parent. I don't know. (laughs) I have no idea what you guys are going through. But I'm sure it gets better or worse or something. (laughs) All right. So we're going to have a quiz about famous fictional fathers. Okay. Uh, Most of these are multiple choice. You've both done this quiz before. You know that this isn't designed to make anyone feel less knowledgeable. These are hard to answer questions that you work out.
11: Okay. Okay.
0: Do you want to start off with a question about a very good dad or a very bad dad? Let's start bad.
1: Mm. And work our way towards good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All Which right. is how we plan on raising our children. <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> All right. These four – it took these four actors to bring this one bad dad to life in a single movie. Whoa. The four actors are David Prouse, Bob Anderson, Sebastian Shaw, Sebastian Shaw, and James Earl Jones.
1: That last name was the only one I knew. I didn't know anyone else's name except for James Earl Jones. Oh, okay. Okay. I think I know this. Oh, wait,
11: wait. I think I do, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is no. it? Who are you thinking? You say it. I don't want to say it. I think I know, but you say
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll say it on the count of three. Okay. Ready? One, two, three. Darth I Vader.
0: Okay. That is correct. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. That is correct. So, James Earl Jones, right, the familiar yep. voice. Yes. Mm-hmm. David Prowse was the physical. Ah. Bob Anderson was the physical Darth Vader in the scenes that had lightsaber. Fights, so he was kind of a stuntman fighter. Oh, wow. And then Sebastian Shaw was the actor whose face we saw when Darth Vader was unmasked.
11: Wow. Uh, that is a
0: lot for one character. It, well, he was a pretty bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> all right. You guys are one for one. <laughs> all right. How about a good dad? Okay. Right. One of my favorite dads of all time mm. Uncle Phil. Philip Banks from mm. uh, First Prince of Bel Air. Yes. All right. Now, of course, the show takes place in Bel Air uh-huh. because Will has moved there to live with Uncle Phil as his father figure. But Uncle Phil is not originally from Bel Air. That's right. Where is Uncle Phil originally from? Ooh. Is it Baltimore, Philadelphia, Newark, or Boston?
11: Mm. Wow. The answer that I thought w- it was is not on that list. Mm. So that's obviously <laughs> not it. It's not gonna be. It's not gonna be Philly because no, it's cause, somewhere south. Yeah, I think it's somewhere. Wait, did you say anywhere
0: south? I didn't. Oh, because here's, a, here's the thing. At the end of the series, the original one, not the not the reboot. Yeah, yeah. He talks about moving back east home. Oh. Is he talking about Baltimore, Philadelphia? You've ruled correctly. Philadelphia out. So we're yeah. down to Baltimore, Newark, or Boston.
1: See, I feel like it's gotta, be it's gotta be Newark or
11: Baltimore. I was gonna say yeah. I'm thinking Baltimore. I'm thinking Baltimore too.
0: Baltimore is correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. You are two of two. Look at that. Dang. Okay. Okay. Let's go to comic strips. hmm. We all know Charlie Brown.
11: Yeah. Oh, a little bit.
0: Okay. We know who he is. hmm. Mm-hmm. We never see in the cartoons or the comic strips Charlie Brown's father. Right. But we do know what Charlie Brown's father does for a living. Oh. Is he? A banker, a barber, an assistant principal, or a mechanic? Oh.
11: No Not idea. a barber. Yeah, no. His hair wouldn't look like that
0: if yeah,
1: he was a barber. His hair <laughs> wouldn't
11: look like that as a barber. <laughs> <laughs> What's the option? Barber, banker? Assistant principal or mechanic? I feel like we would have heard a lot more of him if he was assistant principal. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah.
0: that's good reasoning. I like that. Yeah.
1: Uh...
11: Mechanic, and ba- I'm gonna go with banker. Okay, I'm gonna say mechanic. He was a barber.
12: Oh, ah!
9: <laughs>
11: <laughs> well, he In was spite. a bad, he's on the bad father list. That's why, that's why <laughs> he's he was a barber, and his son's hair look <laughs> cr- I get it now. He's Here's on the bad father list. My okay. theory,
0: because when I first found this <laughs> out as a kid, is I just thought, well, Charlie Brown went to him every day, mm, that's why he only has uh, one of those. I don't mm. know. <laughs>
11: He just wakes up. All right.
0: So that's two right, one wrong. Oh, man. Uh, We've got two more um, multiple choice questions left and then the bonus question. Oh, okay. Okay. Let's go back to television. I'm going to name siblings, and then I'm going to give you four choices of what their father's name is. The siblings are Pugsley and Wednesday. Okay. Is their father's name Gilberto, Jocko, Gomez, or Lonnie?
1: Oh, it's Gomez, because Wednesday
11: Adams. I have no idea.
1: <laughs> wait, 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 wait. wait. You, the, the Adams Family,
11: right? It is the, the, the Adams show? Family. Right. It is the Adams Family. Yeah. But I, now that I think of it, I have no idea what his first name is. Oh, no, it's Gomez. It Gomez. It's Adams? Gomez.
0: Okay, there yeah. you go. Very good. Yeah. That's three right, one wrong. Okay. How about Indiana Jones? Okay. Let's talk about Indy's father, mm. played in the third movie by Sean Connery. What was the third movie? Indy, let's see. It was Temple of Doom and then The Last Crusade. Crusade, Indiana Jones and the Last.
11: Is that the one with Shia Bluff?
0: No.
1: Last Crusade was the one about the Holy Grail, right?
0: Holy, no, the first one's about the Holy <laughs> Grail. Let me ask this. Um, have you seen any Indy? Have, have you seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? That's okay. That's okay. If I All have, right. it's
1: been a very long time ago. Yeah, I saw the been... Crystal Skull because oh. it came out when I was in high school, That's not and a I good was movie. very disappointed. That's the one with Shia LaBeouf. That's, That's the, the one. one. Yeah. <laughs>
0: that was the fourth one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one was. And bad. then the fifth one just came out this year. And I haven't seen mm-hmm. that, but okay. Anyway, in the third one, okay, Harrison Ford's Indiana Jones meets his father, played by Sean Connery. Okay, you know? okay. they share the same first name. This just in Indiana is not his Christian name. Mm. Not the name he was given mm. at birth. What is the real first name of both Indiana Jones and his father? Is it Clyde, Daniel, Stephen, or Robert? Then no, Wait, none of those are right. I didn't put the right one in there. I to say. <laughs> okay, hang on. Well, I've messed this one up. What do you think? <laughs> All right. Hang on. I'm going
11: to come up with four different ones. Okay, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna just try to imagine Sean Connery saying each name: Stephen, <laughs> Daniel. That's pretty good.
8: <laughs>
0: <Okay>. Stephen. <laughs> okay.
1: So now I'm just imagining Sean Connery yeah, on no, Celebrity yeah, yeah. Jeopardy. Well,
0: <laughs> so we enough. now know it's not right. <laughs> <laughs> we now know it's not Clyde, Daniel, Stephen, or Robert. Okay, none of okay. those. It's none of those. Is it William, Boris, Anthony, or Henry? William.
11: (laughs) Boris. But, yeah, William, (laughs) Boris. Anthony. Anthony, uh, It's not Anthony. I don't think Sean can say Anthony very well. Anthony. (laughs) Uh, Boris. I can see him saying Boris. Boris. Yeah. Um, I, I I'm thinking like William, but uh, yeah, I think William's right. Yeah. It's Henry. Oh, I forgot about Henry. Okay, yeah, well, Henry. Yeah, that's because yeah, it
0: wasn't in the first. Okay, so that's three right, two wrong. Though that last one. <laughs> so it's going to come down to this: the bonus question. Okay, okay. we're going to talk about the father who has been on more television episodes than any other father in American television history. Oh wow, Homer Simpson. Right. Okay. In an early, early script, the script was given to the man who voices Homer, Dan Castellaneta, and it just said Homer makes an annoyed grunt. What did that annoyed grunt turn into? Dough. That is yeah, correct. Yes. Yeah. So you an guys An annoyed did s- grunt. That's it, all it was. Yeah. It said annoyed grunt, and he turned it into dough. Literally. He got his money's worth. Yeah. So you got. Uh, you got Uncle Phil, you got Gomez, you got Darth Vader, you got Homer, Indiana Indiana Jones. It's we just, yes. <laughs> Charlie Brown, and you had the right reasoning on yeah. why you didn't think his father was a barber. <laughs> so, 42, that means you're both really good fathers. Hey.
1: Well, I mean, if this quiz is the thing that decides that for us,
0: I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um,. Good luck with the overnight feedings or whatever it is that you do. <laughs> <laughs> Call it. <laughs> and um, you'll have to buy a lot of shoes between now and when they're 15, yeah, I think. They, they outgrow very shoes, true. I've heard, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Jasper Logan, Matthew Moore, thank you very much. Thank Thanks, you. Kyle. <laughs>
11: just to show your family just how great
0: John Hyatt from 1987. We're going to have music from this month on Friday's edition of Ozarks at Large. Christmas music. Eleven incredibly talented Northwest Arkansas musicians came in to the Furman Garner studio. I thought they were each going to sing individually, so did they. Then they eventually came together, and it was just a big old Holiday Annie. I still don't have it, do I? (laughs) I want to combine Holiday and Hootenanny. Holla, nanny. There it is. nanny. We'll have a nanny on Friday's show. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook
9: with Arkansas Songs.
12: Just hear those sleigh bells jingling ring ting tingling too. Come on, it's lovely weather for us you out together with you. Outside the snow is falling and friends are calling, yahoo! Come on, it's lovely weather for us, to right together with you.
9: Glenn Travis Campbell was born in D. Light in Pike County, April 22, 1936. He made a name for himself as a solo performer, as well as a session player working in a variety of genres. That included recording on sessions for artists as varied as Frank Sinatra, Merle Haggard, the Mamas and the Papas, and Dean Martin, a supremely talented instrumentalist and vocalist, Campbell also recorded and toured with the Beach Boys and logged time as a member of the Champs of tequila fame. Among his forays into many genres and styles, Glenn Campbell additionally found time to record several sides of holiday-themed music.
12: Christmas is for children just for
9: grown up, say Glenn Campbell's first Christmas album came relatively early in his solo career. 1968's That Christmas Feeling released just weeks before his TV show The Glenn Campbell Good Time Hour debuted. The album featured a mix of World War II era standards like The Christmas Song and I'll Be Home for Christmas, along with more modern fare, such as Roger Miller's Old Toy Trains and Willie Nelson's Pretty Paper.
12: Every Christmas Eve again we may think we're old But our hearts can almost believe again
9: That Christmas Feeling was a success, topping Billboard's Christmas album chart in 1968 and his Christmas is for Children single hitting the top ten. The album charted again during the holidays for the next three years and went gold. 1971's Christmas with Glen Campbell followed, but it would be the 1990s before Glen Campbell went comparatively Christmas crazy.
12: And suddenly Lombardo is their favorite band It must be getting close to Christmas
9: 1993 saw a release of Glenn Campbell's Home for the Holidays, full of well-known titles such as Oh, Holy Night and What Child is This? Two years later, he recorded Christmas with Glenn Campbell, his 55th LP, with songs like Jingle Bell Rock, Frosty the Snowman, and Winter Wonderland.
12: You better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is a- coming to town
9: Following 1995's Christmas with Glen Campbell, Campbell recorded his third holiday album of the 1990s and 56th album overall with 1998's A Glen Campbell Christmas. With no other Campbell albums released in the interim, Campbell had recorded two Christmas albums back-to-back. The release was in a more traditional musical vein than previous with songs like Away in a Manger and God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen.
12: With a little tin horn and a little tin drum A Rudy toot-toot and a rummy tum-tum Santa Claus is a-coming
9: to town Glenn Campbell's holiday albums have been repackaged many times, but Campbell's Christmas music was but a small part of his decade-spanning and genre-spanning career. Here in its entirety is Glenn Campbell of Pike County with Christmas is for Children from his first Christmas album in 1968, That Christmas Feeling. Christmas
12: is for children just for children, grown up, say Santa's down the chimney. That's for children like the reindeer. sleigh That same tale is told Every Christmas Eve again We may think we're old But our hearts can almost Believe again Christmas Is for children But aren't we all children? Christmas Day That no one could tempt Papa with Will someone Explain Why it's all That Papa Will bother with I guess Christmas Is for Children But aren't we all children? Christmas Day
9: Pike County native Glenn Campbell with Christmas is for Children from his first Christmas album, That Christmas Feeling, from 1968. It's another song of Arkansas. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas. Happy Holidays. Arkansas is underwritten by Arkansas Heritage. Relive your favorite Barton Coliseum concert memories at the Old Statehouse Museum in downtown Little Rock, where they still play it loud.
1: Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF 91.3 Fayetteville. Contributors today included Daniel Carruth, Rachel Sanchez-Smith, Jasper Logan, and Stephen Cook.
0: Matthew produced today's show in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. Thinking back on that dad quiz, mm-hmm. I couldn't get Atticus Finch in there. Mm. I tried to get something about Hamlet's father, but, you know, it'll be time for another dad quiz.
1: There you go. Well, I, I will... Likely still be a dad next time. Uh. <laughs> yes, you likely will.
0: Uh, tomorrow on our show, we're going to have a little help from a lot of our friends. Since we have the Christmas show on Friday, mm-hmm. Michael Tilley and Becca Martin Brown are going to join us tomorrow. We'll also have Sound Perimeter with Leo Rebe, Paul Gatling with Talk Business and Politics, and more. That's on tomorrow's edition of Ozarks at Large.
1: And on Friday, Kyle Kellums is bringing you a holla nanny. We finally that's nailed right. it. That's, uh, right. that's what we're going to call it.
0: So that'll be on our Friday show and uh, the Weekend Ozarks at Large edition Sunday morning on KUAF. We'll have that as well. So three chances to hear great holiday music as recorded in the Furman Garner Performance Studio. Thank you so much for uh, being with us and for your continued support of public radio and Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Callums.
1: I'm Matthew Moore. Be well.